Uh, good morning. How are you all doing this morning? I hope no one's asleep yet with hearing this, uh, this rain on this tin roof. I know that this is, I know for a lot of people, when you choose a sound machine sound, this is the sound you choose, okay? So, so if you can, just stick with me. I promise this is going to, uh, what the Lord has for us is something I'm really, really excited about. I'd consider maybe just using this as a nap time, because again, when do we get a great sound like this? But I'm too excited about what the Lord has for us today for us to, to do that. So, so this, this is what we get to do this, uh, today, is to preach the word and all listen to it together as a church family. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Blake. I am uh, one of the pastors here at the Refuge Church, and uh, it's my joy to be able to preach uh, this morning to you guys. Um, as many of you know, our teaching pastor, Scott, uh, has uh, undergone a kidney transplant a week and a half ago, and I want you to know that he is actually doing really, really well. Uh, and thank you so much for your prayers for him, for his living donor, uh, Jeff Street, who's also a member here at the Refuge. They're both doing wonderful. They've all already had some follow-up visits uh, with their doctors, and everything is going as good as it possibly could be. So your prayers are being answered. Thank you so much for, uh, for continuing to lift both of them up in prayer. And I know he's watching here today, so, so again, thank you so much for, uh, for praying for him earnestly. Uh, so while Scott continues to heal over the next several weeks, the other three Refuge pastors, myself, Paul McDade and Paul Dacus are going to be uh, taking up the helm of the pulpit and, um, and preaching through a new series that we get to start today, which is something we're really excited about, something the pastors we've been talking about uh, for a while. So if you're new to Refuge, we want you to know that we typically use what's called expository preaching as we, as we walk through books of the Bible. So this simply means that instead of choosing a topic and then finding verses that that, put, um, that support that topic, what we do is we typically just choose a book of the Bible and just start walking through it verse by verse. So, because um, we believe that when we preach this way, the topics that are already in the text itself is what gets to shine. And we believe that God orchestrates a lot of these topics and even the timing of when they come up in our church. So, is everyone able to hear me okay? So, I've had a hard time hearing myself. This rain is nuts. So, um, so, but it, and it's uncanny how sometimes, do y'all want to come sit closer so we can all hear? Is that what we need to do? So, um, it, it's crazy how a lot of times the things that we're preaching through, through a book that we chose 17 weeks ago, is bringing up a topic that our church needs to hear right now. It's uncanny how it does that. So we believe that God is using, even the, the, the books of the Bibles that we look at preaching through, he's using that to edify this church, edify you this morning. So we're really excited to see what that looks like. And we want you to know that God has already given us his holy scriptures. And can we just take a minute to acknowledge how amazing is it that God gave us the Bible? Like, can we just, I know that a lot of us, we grew up with these in our houses, we, we have it on our phone, but can we just stop for a second and acknowledge how incredible is it that our God chose to give us his word on paper that we can read whenever we want? How amazing is that? That is incredible that he chose to do that. So what we get to do is we get to read this Bible together. We get to study it together. And over the, last, uh, over the last year, we've actually been walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's the last book that we chose to walk through. And before that, it was the book of Genesis. Before that, the book of Romans. And, um, and so th today, we get to start a brand new uh, study together as a church family. And so, um, so I'm sure you're all eager to hear what it's going to be. I know I don't need a drum roll or anything. I think our drummer's gone. Yeah, the drummer's gone. So, but um, we do have a surprise for you a little bit, okay? So what we're going to do is we're just going to do Ephesians again, okay? So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. It was so good. We're going to need a sequel, right? So, okay, not really. 
So we're actually going to do Genesis again. So, okay, I'm kidding. We're not doing that. So we do have a surprise for you, though, okay? So as we were looking at doing what is the next book of the Bible that we want to walk through as a church family, the surprise is we didn't choose one book. We actually chose 12 books that we're going to be walking through next. So what that's going to be is together we get to walk through the minor prophets of the Old Testament. So now I know when you think minor prophets... I know for even me, sometimes all of us who, who are even familiar with the Bible, um, minor prophets, okay, which ones are those, okay? So, and honestly, that's one of the reasons we're super excited to walk through this, uh, because we get to walk through something that sometimes even we don't really open up uh, very often. So, let me ask you this, by a show of hands, who in the last month, when you sat down to read your Bible, you cracked open Zephaniah? or Obadiah, or Nahum. Anyone? No Nahum fans in here? Okay, Nahum, we got one. So yeah, okay, so you want to come preach? So, okay, okay. so yeah, so it's not something we, I know when I think of the books of the Bible, I'm going to be honest, the minor prophets are not some of the books that my mind first goes to when I think of books of the Bible. But what I want to do is I want to allow the Lord to remind us of something very important that we want to remember as we do this. So what I want you to do is I want you to open up your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Not one of the minor prophets, by the way. I know. But that just opened up there to me real quick. And what I want you to do, when you get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to stand with me. We see all the people that looked it up on their phone because they were quick to the draw. Okay, so, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read verses 14 through 17 together. Let me find it in my Bible. There it is. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God that we get to read together. Y'all be seated. So yes, many of, us are many of us, myself included, don't first think of the minor prophets, but we believe that the minor prophets are just as inerrant, just as profitable for us to study, just as God-breathed, and just as wonderful as the other 54 books of the Bible. Wait, 12, 56? Okay, I got that. Make, make sure I got that right. Did my math right. Uh, and I can't wait to see what the Lord has uh, in store for us as we open these scriptures together. So what we're going to do today, since today is when we're starting this study of looking at 12 books of the Minor Prophets together, we're going to take a look at uh, the, 12, the 12 books of the Minor Prophets from a high overview perspective. That way, as we look more closely at each one over the coming weeks and months, we'll have the proper perspective in which to study them. So in other words, today we're going to look at the Grand Canyon from 30,000 feet before we start canoeing through the Canyon River over the next weeks and months. That's what we're going to do today. So to orient ourselves as we dive into these books, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at who were the prophets and maybe even answer the broader question of what is a prophet to begin with because it might be different than you think. We're going to look at where these books are within the canon of Scripture and where they fall in history and even the social context around them. 
And then lastly, we're going to look at why God chose to give us these books and his holy scriptures and what they do to help us learn more about him and what he's done for us. So as we begin to dive in to looking at the minor prophets, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for choosing to give us your word. God, how loving of a father you are that you didn't just sit up in the clouds and wait for us to figure it out. You spoke to us through the prophets and through the writings that you give us in this Bible, God. Thank you so much for giving us the gift of your word that we can read and we can own and we can, we can study whenever we want. So God, as, as we continue, as we start to look at this, uh, the minor prophets today and over the next coming weeks and months, God, I pray that you allow us to see it in new light, that Holy Spirit, you allow us to see how it is profitable to us today, how it is, is, is able to, to grow us up in more Christ-likeness, God. We know that it can do that. We're looking forward to seeing the surprises you have in store for us as we open some of these books of the Bibles, ones that we admit sometimes we, we don't open very often ourselves, God. So God, we love you. Thank you for giving us the Minor Prophets, and thank you for allowing us to walk through it as a church family. We can't wait to see what you have in store for us. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So, we, so who are these guys? Who are the prophets? And what is a prophet? I guess we should answer that question. So, so let me ask you all a question, I, and I'm going to ask this question. I really want to hear some of your answers. When you think of the word prophet, what comes to mind? Elisha, Okay. What else? Isaiah. Isaiah, okay. What else? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? What, what's an what's a, what's a image that you have in your head when you think of a prophet? A soldier for the truth. A soldier for the truth. That's a good one. Yeah, there, there's, there's lots of things that pop into our minds when we think of the word prophet. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, whoa. So. <laughs> that, that scared me. So, so lots of things come to mind for me, okay? And I'm going to be honest, a lot of the things that come to mind for me when I think of the word prophet don't come anywhere from the Bible because I'm in this world and things happen, right? And I, I'm influenced by media and all these different things. So I know sometimes uh, when you think of prophet, you might think of something like this. So, or for the, those of us younger folks who have no idea who this guy is, maybe you think of something like this, like the oracle from the Matrix, right? You think of these people that, these mystical people that through some kind of trance and levitating, they're foretelling the future or something like that. That's, that's the image that some people come to mind when they think of things like prophets. So, and this is where we have to be careful though, because we must allow scripture and scripture first to be the thing that shapes our idea of biblical themes, so we have to ask, what does the Bible say prophets are? Well, we first, let's look at some of who the prophets are that we see throughout Scripture, and let's look at some of these examples. Actually, the, the first time that we see someone called a prophet in Scripture is actually way back in the book of Genesis, a book that we studied not too long ago in chapter 20. So in a dream, God says this to Philistine king Abimelech, now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, talking about Abraham, um, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, that you and all who are yours. So this passage, as a reminder, is talking about when Abraham lied to Abimelech, fearfully calling his wife his sister instead of his wife, right? And then another example we have in Deuteronomy. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So we have Abraham, we have Moses, and as we continue to look at more and more of the people that, uh, that God chose to call prophets, we see a theme start to emerge as we look at their lives. And the most important theme that I'll first point out is this. A prophet is chosen by God. 
over and over in scriptures, we see that the people that God chooses to serve as prophets usually aren't aspiring to the job. They don't train for years and years hoping to get picked to be one of God's prophets. God simply chooses them for lots of reasons, I assume. And the reasons I have to assume is because a lot of those reasons just aren't made known to us. We don't know why he chooses to, do, uh, to choose those people um, most of the time. I mean, sometimes we'll, we'll, it'll say something like, you know, that he, this person was seen as righteous in the eyes of God, but that's usually about it. And, and even more, some of these guys, we know very little about them. They, we might get what town they're from and who their dad was. So we know, we know very little about some of these guys. But the bottom line is God chooses them for his purposes, and we know that he uses them in incredible ways. So the idea is, if God chooses them, what is he intending these people to do after he's chosen them? So let me ask you this. When you're thinking of a prophet speaking to a group of people in the Bible, what's usually one of the first phrases they say to that group of people? What's that? Speak up louder. God says this. So yeah, or, or if you're Kings speak, thus says the Lord, right? So, yeah, this is normally a phrase that we see them say a lot. What he doesn't, what they don't say is, all right, guys, gather around. I have a pretty good guess of what God has to say for us. That's not what he's saying. Thus says the Lord. They're speaking with an authority that God is giving them by speaking through them as his mouthpiece at that time. They're not guessing. The Lord is specifically and clearly speaking through them. Now, those messages that those prophets are giving to them range in a lot of different things, whether it be warnings, rebuke, encouragement, reminders, lots of other things. And yes, sometimes these prophecies do foretell of future events on the horizon. I mean, a lot of them foretold the coming Messiah, Jesus, which is amazing. And, we, and that's a whole other sermon by itself that I'm sure we'll get to as we start looking through this. But with all this in mind, perhaps the simplest answer to the question, what is a prophet, is simply this. A prophet is someone chosen by God to speak to his people on his behalf. So a very simple, boiled down answer to it. God is a good father, and he loves his people a lot. And he didn't leave us to guess what he wants or what he's thinking. He gave us the prophet's in his love for us. And through them, a large part of the scriptures were written in order to speak to us. How wonderfully and gracious of him to give us his word through these people and through these writings. And while we're here, I also want to mention that prophecy is one of those gifts that aren't just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. These aren't just dusty Old Testament guys, okay? So in Acts chapter 2, during the sermon at Pentecost, as the church was bursting onto the scene, the apostle Peter it says this in his sermon. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on the flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on the male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. So with these words, the apostle Peter is actually quoting the Old Testament minor prophet of Joel. In his first sermon to the, to, the, uh, to the people of Pentecost. So this goes to show that prophesying isn't just in the Old Testament, but it has its place in the New Testament as well. Remember, prophecy isn't just the mystical future foretelling, okay? It's simply God choosing to speak through someone to build up his people and strengthen his church. That is the purpose of prophecy. That is the definition of biblical prophecy. So let's keep going. So now that we've answered who Let's look at where this happens. 
So we have to answer the question, where, where do we find these books? Let, let's first look, where do we find them in the context of our, of our Bibles? So, so as you know, um, our Bible is made up of 66 books spanning multiple writers over the course of multiple centuries. And, and I say writers specifically because we believe that all 66 books of the Bible were authored by the Holy Spirit guiding the words of the writers. So I want to make sure we're making that distinction as we, as we look at how these uh, books were written. And we also believe that all 66 of these books is, tells a grand narrative story of God rescuing his people through Jesus, God incarnate, God with us. All of this Bible points forward or back to that event happening of God rescuing us through his son Jesus. And as we know, the Bible is broken up into, into two different testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament looking forward of the fulfilled promises that God has for them. And now in the New Testament, looking back and understanding the implications of what God has already completed on the cross for us. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, if you're any of those counting. And, the, and these two separated by the life and the work of Jesus Christ. The, and the Old Testament, if we're looking at that, can actually be further separated down. Because what we're doing, we're drilling down to where we're at for the, uh, for the uh, minor prophets. So the Old Testament can be broken up and actually into four different types of literature that are all grouped together. So the first group that we have are the first five of the books uh, called the law, um, which are attributed to the great prophet Moses, also called the Pentateuch or the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. The next group is we have the 12 books from Joshua through Esther that tell the story of the nation of Israel, God's people set apart. And if you haven't read these books here in the history, you got, you got to read them because um, it's a roller coaster of action, deception, heroism, deep faith in the promises of God. I mean, it really is action-packed. I mean, if you talk about like tent pegs or people's heads, like crazy stuff, okay? So, uh, so there's lots of cool stuff that you got to read through that. So if you haven't read it before, uh, it really is a, um, amazing to see how God has carried his people through that time. Next, we have the books of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Poetry full of emotion, ranging from the highest of joys to the lowest of despairs. Songs that, um, of worship to our Father in heaven, and also songs of frustration when we don't understand why God's doing what he's doing. Just, they're just honest. They're speaking honestly to their God, which is something our, our Father in heaven wants us to do. We get to speak honestly to him. And then lastly, getting closer to home for us, I'll try to flip my page, we have the 17 books of the prophets. Now looking more closely at the prophets, those can actually be further broken up into two different categories. The first five, the longest of the prophecies, being the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These are the prophets we usually think of when we think of biblical prophets. And then we have the minor prophets. And this is where we're going to find our focus for the next several weeks and months. So here's what I want you to do to get familiar with them. We're going to name them off. I want you to name them off with me, okay? Here we go. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. That was fun. Yeah. So yeah. By the way, Zephaniah, Zechariah, two different books, okay? So I know, a lot of us, we're not real familiar with these, but this is something we get to do over the next uh, several weeks and months. We get to walk through this together, which is really, really exciting. So in our Bibles, we have the 12 books um, of, the, of the minor prophets that fall at the end of the Old Testament, the last words spoken by God to his people before the incarnation of birth and the birth of Jesus Christ. 
The reason they're called the minor prophets, though, is simply because they're a lot shorter than the major prophets. So, for, for example, if you look at the book of Isaiah, it's 66 chapters. If you take all of these books and combine them together, it's 67 chapters. So they're just a lot shorter than that. And um, in fact, some of these, uh, most of them, they just average just a handful of chapters. One of them is one chapter uh, for that. So they're just a lot shorter. Um, and it, in fact, some of the earliest manuscripts we've been able to find of the, the minor prophets are actually found on one big scroll, 12 of them. So the early church, even though they're probably, they're definitely individual books, the early church probably read them as a collection of books altogether uh, as they were passing these around between church and church. So now that we know where they fall within our Bibles and how they differ from other parts of the Bible, Let's look at where the minor prophets take place in a timeline of history. So I know this looks like a lot. Just trust me, stick with me, okay? I know it's a chart. I get excited about charts. I don't know if y'all get excited about charts, but uh, yeah, so this is where we're at. But I wanted to show you where we fall within the timeline of history. So what we have is, this is the timeline. On the far left, we have the books of, uh, starting with the reign of King David, all the way through the writing of Revelation. And you can see right here in the middle, being the, uh, the separation between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the book of Matthew, which is actually separated by about 400 years of silence before Jesus was born. And so zooming in a little bit further to the Old Testament, what you can see is that all of these books uh, of, the, of the minor prophets that you can see down here at the bottom correlate with a lot of the changing over of the guard of, of kings that you see. So you can see that a lot of these prophets, their lives are overlapping a lot of the changing of kings from kings to kings to kings. And that's something that we'll continue to see as we study through the minor prophets. In fact, when you're thinking about the timeline of the minor prophets, there's two big things that you'll see mentioned throughout these books. First, the fall of Israel's northern and southern kingdoms. And secondly, the kings that rule those kingdoms. That's something we're going to continue to see over and over and over. And that's the context in which they're writing. Because honestly, a lot of those kings, not good dudes, okay? And they're uh, speaking against them. And you can see the kings changing over in this timeline. So when reading studies of the minor prophets, you'll often hear these books placed in relation to what's called the exile of, of Israel. And this, this is where you'll usually see this. And you can actually see that right here at the top. So you can see right here is the fall of Israel. And then you have the fall of the southern kingdom as well. And so this is usually where you'll see, you hear them talk about that this book was written pre-exile or in the exile or post-exile. That's simply what that means. It's tracking where they fall in relation to when the northern and southern kingdoms fell. And that's something that's going to be very important to remember as we start walking through what these, uh, what these guys are talking about through the Minor Prophets writings. So this is one of the most helpful ways to think about it. When you're speaking as a warning to God's people, You'll hear them warn of coming destruction, or you'll hear the reminders of what has already happened and why. So pre-exile, exile, and post-exile. This is the context in which we have, and we see them falling to evil, either ki evil kings within themselves, or you see them falling to oppressive nations around themselves. So it's not, not, not a good uh, situation for them most of the time. So for the people that time, it may have seemed very glum. It might have seemed like the end of times. But we know on this side of history that it was just the beginning of a beautiful story that God is writing as his plan to rescue his people continues to unfold. Amen? So it might seem like we might get blinders and think, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But we get the, we get the pleasure of seeing history unfold and seeing his promises fulfilled. 
And this is what takes us to the most important question. Why? Why were these books written? What was God's purpose in giving these prophets to the people of that day? And why did God preserve their words and writings for us to study right now? These are the questions that we'll be dissecting over the next weeks and months as we look more closely at the 12 minor prophets. But there are two overarching themes that we'll see interwoven throughout all of them. And to illustrate these overarching themes, I want you to take a look at some excerpts of some of the books we're going to be studying over, uh, over the course of this series. The first is from Amos. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy at the gate. Next we see in Zechariah. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. And lastly, in Nahum, we read, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Over and over throughout the prophecies, we see the prophets pleading with the people of Israel, and sometimes even other nations, to turn from their wicked ways. And these prophets, as we'll see, were met with varying degrees of acceptance, some outright rejecting the words of the Lord through these prophets, or others turning to repentance right away. Again, our God is a loving Father who seeks to protect his people, sometimes even protecting them from their own wicked hearts. I'm sure, I know I've seen that, him do that for me too. I'm sure I'm not alone. The first thing we see is the call to repentance. That's the first theme we're going to see going over and over throughout all the minor prophets is a call to repentance is one of the major themes we'll see. And the second thing that we'll see is actually how the minor prophets urge them to do that. They call them to repentance and then they tell them why they should do it and which is actually illustrated in the next verse in Nahum that we just read. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So the two themes we see, calls to repentance and reminders of God's goodness. Those are the two major themes that we will see over and over and over as we walk through these 12 books of the Minor Prophets. And this answers the question of why. The reason God gave his people the prophets was to urge them to follow him again as they turn away over and over because he is good and he loves them and wants what's best for them like the loving father that he is. So you might be thinking, okay, that's cool, I guess, but what does that have to do with us today? Well, I'm glad you asked. So what I want you to do is open your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 11. And while you're turning there, this will help answer the question of what does the minor prophets have to do with us today? So we'll be in Romans chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 11. Romans 11, 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? They being the bloodline descendants of Israel. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Gentiles being all non-Israelites, even us. So jump ahead to verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. 
then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here boils down to this. The family of God, God's chosen people, are no longer just the bloodline descendants of the Israelites. Now, anyone through faith in Jesus Christ can be called part of the family of God. That's good news, is it not, church? That's good news. I mean, think about it. Paul uses the analogy of, of grafting in, uh, of grafting in a, a tree branch into an olive tree. And even though we aren't part of the original plant, we get to be grafted in, made part of that organism, and enjoy all the benefits of being there without distinction. For all of my gardeners in there, you get what that means. Y'all, think about this. Like, how amazing is this? We get to be part of God's family. I mean, are you, are you, are you catching the immense gravity of what that means? I mean, have you ever looked with jealousy at another family or another team or a class or a company and said to yourself, I wish I was part of that? Of course you have. I mean, we all have. I have. Well, guess what? The best family, God's family, is open to those who believe. One chapter back in Romans, we were just in Romans 11, and Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, with your whole being is what that means, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be made part of God's family. Not just an acquaintance. You won't just be made a friend. You won't just be made a buddy. You won't just be made that weird uncle that everyone hopes doesn't show up to Thanksgiving, okay? So you get to be made, you get to be an adopted son, an adopted daughter of the king of kings with full access to the throne room of God, full access to the most high God, our father in heaven. Y'all, do y'all see what a big deal that is? We get access to him because of what Jesus has done for us. That is a big, big deal. And I hope that we don't ever lose our awe of thinking about what he has done for us and what that, the implications of that mean. A dirty sinner like me, like me gets to walk up to the throne room of God and talk to God. It's incredible. And he doesn't see my sin. He sees the sacrifice of his son in my place. How beautifully amazing is that? So as we look at the prophets speaking to the family of Israel, we can glean many of the same messages to our lives today because through Jesus, his followers have been made part of that same family that the prophets were speaking to in the minor prophets. However, although we share in the benefits of being part of God's family, we are still subject to the warnings we'll read about throughout the minor prophets. The overarching themes we'll see in the minor prophets also apply to us. We too are urged to repent. Whether you're already a Christian or if you're not a Christian, you are being called by the Most High God to repent of your sins and give them to him. Following the story of the Israelites, God's chosen people through the Old Testament, what you'll see is this, this constant back and forth, over and over of them following and then rejecting God, and then God calling them repentance and coming back. Just this over and over, back and forth. Does that sound familiar? It, it does when I look at my life. I'm sure it does when you look at yours. How often, even in the last week, 
did we reject God? Now, you might, you might say, hold it, I didn't reject God. I mean, right, you, you, you might not have outright said, God, go away, get out of here, but your actions speak louder than words, don't they? When we sin, we're essentially rejecting God. When we sin, what that says to God is, I know better than you do. When we sin, what that says to God is, I don't believe you're as good as you say you are. When we sin, what that says to God is, what you've given me isn't enough. Let's get more practical. When you look at your neighbor's new car or their new house with jealousy, what you're saying to God is, what you've given me isn't good enough, and that thing will make me happier than you will. When you use a harsh, mean-spirited, defensive word with your spouse, what you're saying to God is, my reputation is more important than hers or even yours. When you gossip about a coworker or classmate that you don't like, what you're saying to God is, loving my enemy isn't that really important. You must have been lying when you told me to do that. At its core, all of our sin is the outpouring of our wicked hearts rejecting the goodness of God. We are placing ourselves in the place of God in our lives. Our sin is an attempt to make ourselves the gods of our own universes. And I got news for you. You make a terrible God. A lot worse than I do. I'm just kidding. We all, even me, like, we all make terrible gods. But we keep trying, don't we? <laughs> we keep trying to make ourselves the gods of our own universe. But what strategy did the prophets most often use to call the people to repentance? Calls to repentance. And what was the other thing? Reminders of the goodness of God. Reminders of God's goodness. Today, people of refuge, whether you're your first time here, you've been a family for a long time, you got a friend drug you here, you are being called to repentance right now. But God isn't saying repent or else. He's not has this finger in your face waiting for you to scare you into, into repentance. The minor prophets often foretold of what is going to happen in the future. But for us, on this side of history, the reminder of God's goodness isn't something, uh, isn't something we're reminded of a promise he will fulfill in the future. It's reminding us of something he's already done in the past. It's reminding us of the finished work of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. Amen? Our posture of repentance doesn't have to be, okay, God, I'm sorry, I'll white-knuckle it, and I'll try harder next time. No. Our posture of repentance on this side of the cross can simply be, I'm a sinner, God, but thank you for paying for that sin on my behalf, something I couldn't do for myself, by sending your son to take the punishment in my place. Do you see the difference between those postures of repentance? That is what the ultimate demonstration of God's goodness and love for his people, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, those who confess and believe in him. So over the next weeks and months, as we walk through the 12 minor prophets, let's keep this in mind. God loves his people. God calls his people to repentance. We get to be his people through confession and belief in Jesus. We get to be reminded of the goodness of who he is and what he has done for followers of Jesus. The chief of which is his selfless sacrifice on the cross in our place.
Let me pray for us.